Blog Talk Radio. It's time to strap our boots on. This is a perfect day to die. Wipe the blood out of our eyes. In this life, there's no surrender. And there's nothing left for us to do. Find the strength to see this through. folks and thank you once again for coming to a barge logic political talk part of the conservative conversation and also part of the patriot journalist network and you can find the patriot general journalist network by going to www.patriotjournalist.com uh, as promised i will be playing in its entirety tonight uh, donald trump's first uh, state of the union address and we will get to that very shortly Uh, So we'll be playing it in its entirety for those who did not get the opportunity to listen to the whole thing. And then, of course, we will have our commentary and analysis of it. Uh, This is a three-hour program, so we will have plenty of time. Uh, And it was a long speech, even said it's one of the three longest inauguration, not inauguration, but the State of the Union uh, addresses uh, out there. And so uh, let's go ahead and get through some some things quickly, uh, and after the response, we will bring uh, Lee, uh, Linda Chastain in, who will be our uh, liberal commentator for this evening. Uh, she'll do uh, the liberal response uh, for the State of the Union. Uh, but let's go ahead, and uh, we're going to bring in uh, uh, just you know a call or two, and then we're going to go ahead and get the audio going because uh, they like to chime in. But thank you very much uh, for coming to the show. How are you, Joseph? I'm doing great, Robert. How about you? Good, good. And yeah, if you want to make some uh, brief comments, and we're going to get the uh, the State of Union up, and then uh, we're going to do our commentary and analysis tonight. Go ahead. Sure. Uh, I thought he made a magnificent speech. Uh, quite frankly, uh, I observed uh, almost every speech he's ever made, and I would have to say by far the most exceptional speech that uh, he ever has made. So I was uh, actually, he exceeded my wildest expectations, and um, I thought it was a great message. Uh, I just uh, was very disappointed to not see uh, any unity uh, in the Democratic ranks who are listening to the uh, to the speech, which, uh, you know, doesn't give me a positive sign. But let's yeah, there, the there certainly was. Yeah, yeah, there certainly wasn't. And well, uh, I've we even got some some marks there. You won't be able to see it, but and you you know we're only going to be able to hear the speech tonight. But you know, I've made some uh, notes from the see- last evening when I was actually watching it, and you know, we'll kind of make some of those points uh, on when you know <laughs> they didn't clap even amazingly enough times they should. So what I'm going to do at this point is I will go ahead and uh, mute all the mics. Thank you very much, uh, Joseph. I definitely want to hear more details on. Uh, your analysis and, and additional commentary on the address. Uh, but again, as promised, because I know there's a lot of folks either because of work or not being able to watch it or they have to go to bed early or something of that nature, may have not been able to hear the speech in its entirety, but only been able to hear snippets. We are now uh, bringing to you uh, the 2018 
uh, State of the Union address, which is Donald Trump's first uh, State of the Union. The President of the United States.
Members of Congress, I have the high privilege and the distinct honor of, pre of presenting to you the President of the United States. Mr. Speaker, Mr. Vice President, members of Congress, First Lady of the United States, and my fellow Americans, less than one year has passed since I first stood at this podium in this majestic chamber to speak on behalf of the American people and to address their concerns, their hopes, and their dreams. That night, our new administration had already taken very swift action. A new tide of optimism was already sweeping across our land. Each day since, we have gone forward with a clear vision and a righteous mission to make America great again for all Americans. Over the last year, we have made incredible progress and achieved extraordinary success. We have faced challenges we expected and others we could never have imagined. We have shared in the heights of victory and the pains of hardship. We have endured floods and fires and storms. But through it all, we have seen the beauty of America's soul and the steel in America's spine. Each test has forged new American heroes to remind us who we are and show us what we can be. We saw the volunteers of the Cajun Navy racing to the rescue with their fishing boats to save people in the aftermath of a totally devastating hurricane. We saw strangers shielding strangers from a hail of gunfire on the Las Vegas Strip we heard tales of Americans like Coast Guard Petty Officer Ashley Leppard, who is here tonight in the gallery with Melania. was aboard one of the first helicopters on the scene in Houston during the Hurricane Harvey. Through 18 hours of wind and rain, Ashley braved live power lines and deep water to help save more than 40 lives. Ashley, we all thank you. Thank you very much.
We heard about Americans like firefighter David Dahlberg. He's here with us also. David faced down walls of flame to rescue almost 60 children trapped at a California summer camp threatened by those devastating wildfires. To everyone still recovering in Texas, Florida, Louisiana, Puerto Rico, and the Virgin Islands, everywhere, we are with you, we love you, and we always will pull through together, always. Thank you to David and the brave people of California. Thank you very much, David. Great job. Some trials over the past year touched this chamber very personally. With us tonight is one of the toughest people ever to serve in this house. A guy who took a bullet, almost died, and was back to work three and a half months later. The legend from Louisiana, Congressman Steve I think they like you, Steve. <laughs> We're incredibly grateful for the heroic efforts of the Capitol Police officers, the Alexandria Police, and the doctors, nurses, and paramedics who saved his life and the lives of many others, some in this room. In the aftermath, yes. aftermath of that terrible shooting, we came together, not as Republicans or Democrats, but as representatives of the people. But it is not enough to come together only in times of tragedy. Tonight, I call upon all of us to set aside our differences, to seek out common ground, and to summon the unity we need to deliver for the people. This is really the key. These are the people we were elected to serve. Over the last year, the world has seen what we always knew that no people on Earth are so fearless or daring or determined as Americans. If there is a mountain, we climb it. If there's a frontier, we cross it. If there's a challenge, we tame it. 
If there's an opportunity, we seize it. So let's begin tonight by recognizing that the state of our union is strong because our people are strong. And together, we are building a safe, strong, and proud America. Since the election, we have created 2.4 million new jobs, including including 200,000 new jobs in manufacturing alone. Tremendous number. After years and years of wage stagnation, we are finally seeing rising wages. <laughs> Unemployment claims have hit a 45-year low. And something I'm very proud of, African-American unemployment stands at the lowest rate ever recorded. And Hispanic-American unemployment has also reached the lowest levels in history. business confidence is at an all-time high. The stock market has smashed one record after another, gaining $8 trillion and more in value in just this short period of time. The great news... The great news for Americans, 401K, retirement, pension, and college savings accounts have gone through the roof. And just as I promised the American people from this podium 11 months ago, we enacted the biggest tax cuts and reforms in American history. Massive tax cuts provide tremendous relief for the middle class and small business to lower tax rates for hardworking Americans. We nearly doubled the standard deduction for everyone. Now the first $24,000 earned by a married couple is completely tax-free.
We also doubled the child tax credit. A typical family of four making $75,000 will see their tax bill reduced by $2,000, slashing their tax bill in half. In April, this will be the last time you will ever file under the old and very broken system, and millions of Americans will have more take-home pay starting next month. A lot more. We eliminated an especially cruel tax that fell mostly on Americans, making less than $50,000 a year, forcing them to pay tremendous penalties simply because they couldn't afford government-ordered health plans. We repealed the core of the disastrous Obamacare. The individual mandate is now gone. We slashed the business tax rate from 35% all the way down to 21% so American companies can compete and win against anyone else anywhere in the world. These changes alone are estimated to increase average family income by more than $4,000 a lot of money. Small businesses have also received a massive tax cut and can now deduct 20% of their business income. Here tonight are Steve Staub and Sandy Keplinger of Staub Manufacturing, a small, beautiful business in Ohio. They've just finished the best year in their 20-year history. Because of tax reform, they are handing out raises, hiring an additional 14 people, and expanding into the building next door. Good feeling. One of Staub's employees, Corey Adams, is also with us tonight. Corey is an all-American worker. He supported himself through high school, lost his job during the 2008 recession, and was later hired by Staub where he trained to become a welder. Like many hardworking Americans, Corey plans to invest his tax cut raise 
into his new home and his two daughters' education. Corey, please stand. great welder. <laughs> I was told that by the man that owns that company that's doing so well. So congratulations, Corey. Since we passed tax cuts, roughly three million workers have already gotten tax cut bonuses, many of them thousands and thousands of dollars per worker, and it's getting more every month, every week. Apple has just announced it plans to invest a total of $350 billion in America and hire another 20,000 workers. And just a little while ago, ExxonMobil announced a $50 billion investment in the United States. Just a little while. This, in fact, is our new American moment. There has never been a better time to start living the American dream. So to every citizen watching at home tonight, no matter where you've been or where you've come from, this is your time. If you work hard, if you believe in yourself, if you believe in America, then you can dream anything. You can be anything. And together, we can achieve absolutely anything. Tonight, I want to talk about what kind of future we're going to have and what kind of a nation we're going to be. All of us together as one team, one people, and one American family can do anything. We all share the same home, the same heart, the same destiny, and the same great American flag. Together, we are rediscovering the American way. In America, we know that faith and family, not government and bureaucracy, are the center of American life. The motto is, in God we trust. We celebrate our police, 
our military, and our amazing veterans as heroes who deserve our total and unwavering support. Here tonight is Preston Sharp, a 12-year-old boy from Redding, California, who noticed that veterans' graves were not marked with flags on Veterans Day. He decided all by himself to change that and started a movement that has now placed 40,000 flags at the graves of our great heroes. Preston, a job well done. Young patriots like Preston teach all of us about our civic duty as Americans. And I met Preston a little while ago, and he is something very special that I can tell you. Great future. Thank you very much for all you've done, Preston. Thank you very much. Preston's reverence for those who have served our nation reminds us of why we salute our flag, why we put our hands on our hearts for the Pledge of Allegiance, and why we proudly stand for the National Anthem. Americans love their country, and they deserve a government that shows them the same love and loyalty in return. For the last year, we have sought to restore the bonds of trust between our citizens and their government. Working with the Senate, we are appointing judges who will interpret the Constitution as written, including a great new Supreme Court justice and more circuit court judges than any new administration in the history of our country. We are totally defending our Second Amendment and have taken historic actions to protect religious liberty. serving our brave veterans, including giving our veterans choice in their health care decisions.
Last year, Congress also passed, and I signed, the landmark VA Accountability Act. Since its passage, my administration has already removed more than 1,500 VA employees who failed to give our veterans the care they deserve. And we are hiring talented people who love our vets as much as we do. stop until our veterans are properly taken care of, which has been my promise to them from the very beginning of this great journey. All Americans deserve accountability and respect, and that's what we are giving to our wonderful heroes, our veterans. Thank you. So tonight, I call on Congress to empower every Cabinet Secretary with the authority to reward good workers and to remove federal employees who undermine the public trust or fail the American people. drive to make Washington accountable, we have eliminated more regulations in our first year than any administration in the history of our country. We have ended the war on American energy, and we have ended the war on beautiful, clean coal. We are now very proudly an exporter energy to the world. In Detroit, I halted government mandates that crippled America's great, beautiful auto workers so that we can get Motor City revving its engines again. And that's what's happening. Many car companies are now building and expanding plants in the United States, something we haven't seen for decades. Chrysler is moving a major plant from Mexico to Michigan. Toyota and Mazda are opening up a plant in Alabama, a big one, and we haven't seen this in a long time.
It's all coming back. Very soon, auto plants and other plants will be opening up all over our country. This is all news Americans are totally unaccustomed to hearing. For many years, companies and jobs were only leaving us. But now, they are roaring back, they're coming back, they want to be where the action is. They want to be in the United States of America. That's where they want to be. Exciting progress is happening every single day. To speed access, to breakthrough cures and affordable generic drugs. Last year, the FDA approved more new and generic drugs and medical devices than ever before in our country's history. We also believe that patients with terminal conditions, terminal illness, should have access to experimental treatment immediately that could potentially save their lives. People who are terminally ill should not have to go from country to country to seek a cure. I want to give them a chance right here at home it's time for Congress to give these wonderful, incredible Americans the right to try. One of my greatest priorities is to reduce the price of prescription drugs. In many other countries, these drugs cost far less than what we pay in the United States, and it's very, very unfair. That is why I've directed my administration to make fixing the injustice of high drug prices one of my top priorities for the year. Prices will come down substantially. Watch. America has also finally turned the page on decades of unfair trade deals that sacrificed our prosperity and shipped away our companies, our jobs, and our wealth.
Our nation has lost its wealth, but we're getting it back so fast. The era of economic surrender is totally over. From now on, we expect trading relationships to be fair and, very importantly, reciprocal. to fix bad trade deals and negotiate new ones. And they'll be good ones, but they'll be fair. And we will protect American workers and American intellectual property through strong enforcement of our trade rules. As we rebuild our industries, it is also time to rebuild our crumbling infrastructure. America is a nation of builders. We built the Empire State Building in just one year. Isn't it a disgrace that it can now take 10 years just to get a minor permit approved for the building of a simple road. I am asking both parties to come together to give us safe, fast, reliable, and modern infrastructure that our economy needs and our people deserve. I'm calling on Congress to produce a bill that generates at least $1.5 trillion for the new infrastructure investment that our country so desperately needs. Every federal dollar should be leveraged by partnering with state and local governments and, where appropriate, tapping into private sector investment to permanently fix the infrastructure deficit, and we can do it. Any bill must also streamline the permitting and approval process, getting it down to no more than two years and perhaps even one. Together, we can reclaim our great building heritage. We will build gleaming new roads, bridges, highways, railways, and waterways all across our land. And we will do it with American heart, American hands, and American grit. We want every American to know the dignity of a hard day's work. We want every child 
people to be safe in their home at night. And we want every citizen to be proud of this land that we all love so much. We can lift our citizens from welfare to work, from dependence to independence, and from poverty to prosperity. As tax cuts create new jobs, let's invest in workforce development and let's invest in job training, which we need so badly. Let's open great vocational schools so our future workers can learn a craft and realize their full potential. And let's support working families by supporting paid family leave. As America regains its strength, opportunity must be extended to all citizens. That is why this year we will embark on reforming our prisons to help former inmates who have served their time get a second chance at life. Struggling communities, especially immigrant communities, will also be helped by immigration policies that focus on the best interests of American workers and American families. For decades, open borders have allowed drugs and gangs to pour into our most vulnerable communities. They've allowed millions of low-wage workers to compete for jobs and wages against the poorest Americans. Most tragically, they have caused the loss of many innocent lives. Here tonight are two fathers and two mothers, Evelyn Rodriguez, Freddie Cuevas, Elizabeth Alvarado, and Robert Mickens. Their two teenage daughters, Kayla Cuevas and Nisa Mickens, were close friends on Long Island. But in September, 2016, on the eve of Nisa's 16th birthday, such a happy time it should have been, neither of them came home. These two precious girls were brutally murdered while walking together in their hometown. Six members of the savage MS-13 gang have been charged with Kayla and Nisa's murders. Many of these gang members took advantage of glaring loopholes in our laws to enter the country as illegal, unaccompanied, alien minors and wound up in Kayla and Nisa's high school. Evelyn, Elizabeth, Freddie, and Robert, tonight everyone in this chamber is praying for you. 
Everyone in America is grieving for you. Please stand. Thank you very much. I want you to know that 320 million hearts are right now breaking for you. We love you. Thank you. But we cannot imagine the depths of that kind of sorrow. We can make sure that other families never have to endure this kind of pain. Tonight, I am calling on Congress to finally close the deadly loopholes that have allowed MS-13 and other criminal gangs to break into our country. We have proposed new legislation that will fix our immigration laws and support our ICE and Border Patrol agents. These are great people. These are great, great people that work so hard in the midst of such danger so that this can never happen again. The United States is a compassionate nation. We are proud that we do more than any other country anywhere in the world to help the needy, the struggling, and the underprivileged all over the world. But as President of the United States, my highest loyalty, my greatest compassion, my constant concern is for America's children, America's struggling workers, and America's forgotten communities. I want our youth to grow up, to achieve great things. I want our poor to have their chance to rise. So tonight, I am extending an open hand to work with members of both parties, Democrats and Republicans, to protect our citizens of every background, color, religion, and creed. duty and the sacred duty of every elected official in this chamber is to defend Americans, to protect their safety, their families, their communities, and their right to the American dream, because Americans are dreamers, too.
Here tonight is one leader in the effort to defend our country. Homeland Security Investigation Special Agent Celestino Martinez. He goes by DJ and CJ. He said, call me either one. So we'll call you CJ. Served 15 years in the Air Force before becoming an ICE agent and spending the last 15 years fighting gang violence and getting dangerous criminals off of our streets. Tough job. At one point, MS-13 leaders ordered CJ's murder, and they wanted it to happen quickly. But he did not cave to threats or to fear. Last May, he commanded an operation to track down gang members on Long Island. His team has arrested nearly 400, including more than 220 MS-13 gang members. And I have to tell you what the Border Patrol and ICE have done. We have sent thousands and thousands and thousands of MS-13 horrible people out of this country or into our prisons. So I just want to congratulate you, CJ. You're a brave guy. Thank you very much. And I asked CJ, what's the secret? He said, we're just tougher than they are. And I like that answer. Now let's get Congress to send you and all of the people in this great chamber have to do it. We have no choice. CJ, we're going to send you reinforcements and we're going to send them to you quickly. It's what you need. Over the next few weeks, the House and Senate will be voting on an immigration reform package. In recent months, my administration has met extensively with both Democrats and Republicans to craft a bipartisan approach to immigration reform. Based on these discussions, we presented Congress with a detailed proposal that should be supported by both parties as a fair compromise, one where nobody gets everything they want, but where our country gets the critical reforms it needs and must have. Here are the four pillars of our plan. The first pillar of our framework generously offers a path to citizenship for 1.8 million illegal immigrants who were brought here by their parents at a young age. That covers almost three times more people than the previous administration covered. Under our plan, those who meet education and work requirements and show good moral character will be able to become full citizens of the United States over a 12-year period. 
The second pillar fully secures the border. That means building a great wall on the southern border, and it means hiring more heroes like CJ to keep our communities safe. <laughs> Crucially, our plan closes the terrible loopholes exploited by criminals and terrorists to enter our country. And it finally ends the horrible and dangerous practice of catch and release. The third pillar ends the visa lottery, a program that randomly hands out green cards without any regard for skill, merit, or the safety of American people. It's time to begin moving toward a merit-based immigration system. One that admits people who are skilled, who want to work, who will contribute to our society, and who will love and respect our country. The fourth and final pillar protects the nuclear family by ending chain migration. Under the current broken system, a single immigrant can bring in virtually unlimited numbers of distant relatives. Under our plan, we focus on the immediate family by limiting sponsorships to spouses and minor children. This vital reform is necessary not just for our economy, but for our security and for the future of America. In recent weeks, two terrorist attacks in New York were made possible by the visa lottery and chain migration. In the age of terrorism, these programs present risks we can just no longer afford. It's time to reform. These outdated immigration rules and finally bring our immigration system into the 21st century. These four pillars represent a down-the-middle compromise and one that will create a safe, modern, and lawful immigration system. For over 30 years, Washington has tried and failed 
to solve this problem. This Congress can be the one that finally makes it happen. Most importantly, these four pillars will produce legislation that fulfills my ironclad pledge to sign a bill that puts America first. So let's come together, set politics aside, and finally get the job done. These reforms will also support our response to the terrible crisis of opioid and drug addiction. Never before has it been like it is now. It is terrible. We have to do something about it. In 2016, we lost 64,000 Americans to drug overdoses, 174 deaths per day, seven per hour. We must get much tougher on drug dealers and pushers if we are going to succeed in stopping this scourge. My administration is committed to fighting the drug epidemic and helping get treatment for those in need for those who have been so terribly hurt. The struggle will be long and it will be difficult, but as Americans always do, in the end, we will succeed, we will prevail. As we have seen tonight, the most difficult challenges bring out the best in America. We see a vivid expression of this truth in the story of the Holetz family of New Mexico. Ryan Holetz is 27 years old, an officer with the Albuquerque Police Department. He's here tonight with his wife, Rebecca. on duty when he saw a pregnant, homeless woman preparing to inject heroin. When Ryan told her she was going to harm her unborn child, she began to weep. She told him she didn't know where to turn, but badly wanted a safe home for her baby. In that moment, Ryan said he felt God speak to him. You will do it because you can. He heard those words. He took out a picture of his wife and their four kids. Then he went home to tell his wife, Rebecca. 
in an instant, she agreed to adopt the Holettes named their new daughter, Hope. Ryan and Rebecca, you embody the goodness of our nation. Thank you. Thank you, Ryan and Rebecca. As we rebuild America's strength and confidence at home, we are also restoring our strength and standing abroad. Around the world, we face rogue regimes, terrorist groups, and rivals like China and Russia that challenge our interests, our economy, and our values. In confronting these horrible dangers, we know that weakness is the surest path to conflict, and unmatched power is the surest means to our true and great defense. For this reason, I am asking Congress to end the dangerous defense sequester and fully fund our great military. defense, we must modernize and rebuild our nuclear arsenal, hopefully never having to use it, but making it so strong and so powerful that it will deter any acts of aggression by any other nation or anyone else. Someday in the future, there will be a magical moment when the countries of the world will get together to eliminate their nuclear weapons. Unfortunately, we are not there yet, sadly. Last year, I also pledged that we would work with our allies to extinguish ISIS from the face of the Earth. One year later, I am proud to report that the coalition to defeat ISIS has liberated very close to 100% of the territory just recently held by these killers in Iraq and in Syria and in other locations as well. But there is much more work to be done. We will continue our fight until ISIS is defeated. 
Army Staff Sergeant Justin Peck is here tonight. Near Raqqa, last November, Justin and his comrade, Chief Petty Officer Kenton Stacy, were on a mission to clear buildings that ISIS had rigged with explosive so that civilians could return to that city, hopefully soon and hopefully safely. Clearing the second floor of a vital hospital, Kenton Stacy was severely wounded by an explosion. Immediately, Justin bounded into the booby-trapped and unbelievably dangerous and unsafe building and found Kenton, but in very, very bad shape. He applied pressure to the wound and inserted a tube to reopen an airway. He then performed CPR for 20 straight minutes during the ground transport and maintained artificial respiration through two and a half hours and through emergency surgery. Kenton Stacy would have died if it were not for Justin's selfless love for his fellow warrior. Tonight, Kenton is recovering in Texas. Raqqa is liberated, and Justin is wearing his new Bronze Star with a V for valor. Staff Sergeant Peck, all of America's who do things like place bombs in civilian hospitals are evil. When possible, we have no choice but to annihilate them. When necessary, we must be able to detain and question them. But we must be clear, terrorists are not merely criminals. They are unlawful enemy combatants. captured overseas, they should be treated like the terrorists they are. In the past, we have foolishly released hundreds and hundreds of dangerous terrorists, only to meet them again on the battlefield, including the ISIS leader, al-Baghdadi, who we captured, who we had, who we released. So today, I'm keeping another promise. I just signed 
prior to walking in, an order directing Secretary Mattis, who is doing a great job. Thank you. To re-examine our military detention policy and to keep open the detention facilities in Guantanamo Bay. I am asking Congress to ensure that in the fight against ISIS and Al-Qaeda, we continue to have all necessary power to detain terrorists wherever we chase them down, wherever we find them. And in many cases, for them, it will now be Guantanamo Bay. At the same time, as of a few months ago, our warriors in Afghanistan have new rules of engagement. Along with their heroic Afghan partners, our military is no longer undermined by artificial timelines, and we no longer tell our enemies our plans. Last month, I also took an action endorsed unanimously by the U.S. Senate just months before. I recognized Jerusalem as the capital of Israel. Shortly afterwards, dozens of countries voted in the United Nations General Assembly against America's sovereign right to make this decision. In 2016, American taxpayers generously sent those same countries more than $20 billion in aid. That is why tonight I am asking Congress to pass legislation to help ensure American foreign assistance dollars always serve American interests and only go to friends of America, not enemies of America. As we strengthen friendships all around the world, we are also restoring clarity about our adversaries. When the people of Iran rose up against the crimes of their corrupt dictatorship, I did not stay silent. America stands with the people of Iran in their courageous struggle for freedom.
I am asking Congress to address the fundamental flaws in the terrible Iran nuclear deal. My administration has also imposed tough sanctions on the communist and socialist dictatorships in Cuba and Venezuela. But no regime has oppressed its own citizens more totally or brutally than the cruel dictatorship in North Korea. North Korea's reckless pursuit of nuclear missiles could very soon threaten our homeland. We are waging a campaign of maximum pressure to prevent that from ever happening. Past experience has taught us that complacency and concessions only invite aggression and provocation. I will not repeat the mistakes of past administrations that got us into this very dangerous position. We need only look at the depraved character of the North Korean regime to understand the nature of the nuclear threat it could pose to America and to our allies. Otto Warmbier was a hardworking student at the University of Virginia, and a great student he was. On his way to study abroad in Asia, Otto joined a tour to North Korea. At its conclusion, this wonderful young man was arrested and charged with crimes against the state. After a shameful trial, the dictatorship sentenced Otto to 15 years of hard labor before returning him to America last June, horribly injured and on the verge of death. He passed away just days after his return. Otto's wonderful parents Fred and Cindy Warmbier are here with us tonight, along with Otto's brother and sister, Austin and Greta. Please. people. You are powerful witnesses to a menace that threatens our world, and your strength truly inspires us all. Thank you very much. Thank you. Tonight, we pledge to honor 
Otto's memory with total American resolve. Thank you. Finally, we are joined by one more witness to the ominous nature of this regime. His name is Mr. Ji Sung Ho. In 1996, Sung Ho was a starving boy in North Korea. One day, he tried to steal coal from a railroad car to barter for a few scraps of food, which were very hard to get. In the process, he passed out on the train tracks, exhausted from hunger. He woke up as a train ran over his limbs. He then endured multiple amputations without anything to dull the pain or the hurt. His brother and sister gave what little food they had to help him recover and ate dirt themselves, permanently stunting their own growth. Later, he was tortured by North Korean authorities after returning from a brief visit to China. His tormentors wanted to know if he'd met any Christians. He had, and he resolved after that to be free. Sung Ho traveled thousands of miles on crutches all across China and Southeast Asia to freedom. Most of his family followed. His father was caught trying to escape and was tortured to death. Today, he lives in Seoul, where he rescues other defectors and broadcasts into North Korea what the regime fears most, the truth. Today, he has a new leg, but Sung Ho, I understand you still keep those old crutches as a reminder of how far you've come. Your great sacrifice is an inspiration to us all. Please, thank you. Sung-Ho's story is a testament to the yearning of every human soul to live in freedom. It was that same yearning for freedom that nearly 250 years ago gave birth to a special place called America. It was a small cluster of colonies caught between a great ocean and a vast wilderness. It was home to an incredible people with a revolutionary idea that they could rule themselves, that they could chart their own destiny, and that together they could light up the entire world. 
That is what our country has always been about. That is what Americans have always stood for, always strived for, and always done. Atop the dome of this Capitol stands the Statue of Freedom. She stands tall and dignified among the monuments to our ancestors who fought and lived and died to protect her. Monuments to Washington and Jefferson and Lincoln and King. Memorials to the heroes of Yorktown and Saratoga. To young Americans who shed their blood on the shores of Normandy and the fields beyond. And others who went down in the waters of the Pacific and the skies all over Asia. And freedom stands tall over one more monument, this one, this capital, this living monument. This is the monument to the American people. people whose heroes live not only in the past, but all around us, defending hope, pride, and defending the American way. They work in every trade. They sacrifice to raise a family. They care for our children at home. They defend our flag abroad. And they are strong moms and brave kids. They are firefighters and police officers and border agents, medics and Marines. But above all else, they are Americans. And this capital, this city, this nation belongs entirely to them. task is to respect them, to listen to them, to serve them, to protect them, and to always be worthy of them. Americans fill the world with art and music. They push the bounds of science and discovery, and they forever remind us of what we should never, ever forget. The people dreamed this country. The people built this country. And it's the people who are making America great again. As long as we are proud 
of who we are and what we are fighting for, there is nothing we cannot achieve as long as we have confidence in our values, faith in our citizens, and trust in our God. We will never fail. Our families will thrive. Our people will prosper. And our nation will forever be safe and strong and proud and mighty and free. Thank you, and God bless America. Good night. Okay, folks, and that was uh, Donald Trump's first State of the Union as president. I do see many of folks uh, would like to chime in. Uh, we will have our liberal response uh, caller uh, end shortly uh, when she calls into the show. Uh, but what we're going to do here is that we're going to go ahead and uh, bring in Susan, and then uh, I'm going to do some call screening uh, myself, and we're going to get uh, folks who've already talked uh, back to the show as well, uh, Joseph. And I'm going to do some uh, get people into the green room, and that's just to get your name, where you're from, things of that nature. So if you, your audio cuts out, don't hang up because that don't mean that you got disconnected. It means I'm getting ready to pull you into the green room. <laughs> so let's go ahead and uh, bring things back. And also, if you're out there listening and you like to chime in, and of course I think uh, many, if not all of you do, uh, push the one on your number dial on your phone. And I will get you into the show. But first, let's go ahead and welcome Susan. Thank you very much, Susan, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Well, um, I'll, I'll, I'm going to leave at 10. i got to go to bed decent time, I guess. Um, I didn't listen to his speech last night, as I messaged you. Uh, but I read comments about it from other people. And it seemed like there was quite a few that seemed to like it. And um, <clears throat> I, I I don't know. I mean, I'm sure he said a lot of right things. And I'm sure he – and that lot Democrats' reaction wasn't even polite. I thought with most of them they had faces on. It looked like they were in church and someone had told them they couldn't have snacks <laughs> you know, or something like yeah, something along that line. I mean, just the sourpuss look on Nancy Pelosi's face was horrid. The stuff makes you give nightmares. You can't sleep if you see that. So, um, so I don't know. I mean, you're not going to please everybody, that's for sure. You just aren't. And that's really all I have to contribute. I'm sure that Others have, I, and I'm sorry about everything that's going on. This is the guy that caused you problems, apparently, with the same similar name. Oh, yeah, I may address that. Yeah, there's a guy out there. Uh, he spells his name pretty similar to mine. He, uh, except one, one last T, and uh, I'm a junior. He doesn't have there. And apparently, and I, and I think Cindy uh, Todd even brought this up that someone was. I don't know if they're opposing as me, <laughs> but I think she might have said something like that, saying that they had yeah, a radio show when they didn't. Yeah, I thought that a year or so ago. I, I remember what? that. He's telling oh, yeah, that. Well, it was really a year ago already? Wow. 
Um, oh, yeah. So, okay, yeah. Here, uh, wow. I, I remember can't believe Mitchie, it, but yeah, but. Cindy, Cindy was on the show when I mentioned it, too. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, I don't know. Who I don't know. Yeah, same, yeah, same name, but oh well, that's uh, I'll, that, that's something to deal with another time. And we got Bob on the line. We're going to get Bob in uh, for his commentary from New York, and then we do have uh, Linda, who is going to be our liberal response to the uh, City of the Union address. We uh, going to bring Joseph back in. I do see again other callers on the line. Push the one on your number dial when you'd like to chime in on it. We do have about an hour and a half left of the show, a little bit less, uh, so there's plenty of time to get commentary. I've got like three, four pages of notes, if not more, actually, uh, but I, I won't have time to go – oh, gosh, it's more than that. But anyway, I won't have time. I'll make some a few comments of my own uh, critiques and, and things of that nature. And if we have to do another show with the, the commentary, I'm sure there will be people wanting to talk about this uh, for quite some time. Of course, as the news cycle goes, there will be others. Uh, <laughs> you know, other topics that will come up for sure uh, as well to talk about. But let's go ahead and bring in Bob, and then we're going to uh, bring in Linda. But first, uh, Bob from New York, thank you very much for coming to the show. How are you tonight? I'm fine. I watched the speech, State of the Union speech address, and it was quite interesting. I think it was well put together, and it talked about some important issues. But the one thing that the lady who just spoke had mentioned were the Democrats. It's a disgraceful act that they displayed when they saw the Republicans stand and clap. They remained in their seats. It's a very disgraceful act. And it calls for the dismissal of the Democratic Party. I think it's time they stay with the Congress, a great institution. We just get rid of the Democrats. So what do you think about that? Well, I'll be honest with you, Bob. I'm kind of a fan of a multi-party system. <laughs> I want to get rid of – I would like to see a, a, an end to the, the two-party system myself. I'm kind of partial to uh, what they have there in Ireland, both with uh, the multi-parties and the way they do preferential voting there. Uh, it's really where you, you more so vote for the individual than you do uh, a party. And, yeah, but what, as with them not you – know, I mean, some of the things you're right, that what they did not stand up to, I mean, even when – you know, and also the, the Black Caucus, they didn't even stand up when you know, Trump was bringing up the – you know, the – decrease in unemployment, you know, among the black, uh, black community. Uh, and then, yeah, and then we have, you know, some of these stories, uh, and some of them heart-wrenching. I tell you, if you did get the opportunity to watch it last night, for me, I think the most heart-wrenching one was the warm beers, uh, which we, we just uh, talked about that some time ago on the show, that, you know, that issue. Uh, but, man, I tell you what, it's, and then they just, you know, stood there, and then Nancy Pelosi sure people on Facebook and everything else have seen, you know, all the posts and faces. And, and I mean, it, there, there was a few things, and I, I really wish I made note of it, and I, I didn't because it was just so few and far between, so I guess that made it, may have made it more significant. There were very few things that you're right, that they did stand up for, and I, I should have made a you know, note of, you know, what places they were, but there, there, there weren't very many, as you, as you know. I mean, for the vast majority of it, yeah, they just 
they just totally sat there. I mean, even when things like, how can you, how can you not before that? Uh, you know, and actually, you know, there was, uh, I didn't make a note here, and I, you know, last night when I was watching that, I even made like, how can they not, how can they not even stand up, um, you know, for it? And I'm, I'm trying to remember was that, as I said, I got all these notes I, I wrote when I was through there, but it's like, how, how can you, how can you not stand up? You know, you know, with with some of those that they said, but you're right, they they did not. Um, so, as to get rid of the Democrat Party, I think if they don't be careful, especially with that government shutdown that they did not too long ago, now what well, didn't last. But one thing they did show is that they were willing to shut down the government uh, against their own people, their own citizens, the military, no less. Now I know it was only the weekend where the military didn't get, you know, paid and this, you know, this and that. I'm sure they'll actually get the money. Uh, but they showed a willingness to put our government to a halt, I mean at least federal, uh, for people who are not even citizens. It's like they'll, they'll fight more for people who aren't even citizens of this country uh, prior to it. So they may just get rid of themselves all by themselves uh, if, if they start showing that they're more willing to, to fight harder for non-citizens than they are for the citizens of the country. Uh, now, Bob, I you know, don't know how new or how often uh, you've listened or, uh, to the show, but one of the things we do here is everyone's mic's open. Uh, so if you uh, have any background noise or anything, which I don't hear now, uh, just mute it. But we will get you back into the show in our roundtable discussion. Uh, so, Great. you know, you're welcome, to stay on, yeah, you're welcome to stay on the line. We'll keep your mic open if you want to just make a, a comment or a response to something someone else wants to say. Uh, you're welcome to do so, okay? Thank you. You're welcome. So we'll keep uh, Bob on, and we, uh, we're going to bring uh, our liberal response here with Linda, and then we're going to go ahead and bring you back in uh, as well, hailing from Hawaii, Joseph. So we'll, we'll get you in as well. I'm going to you your weather right now. <laughs> and I do see you know many others on the line. Again, push the one on your number dial. We will get you into the show. Uh, but let's go ahead and bring in Linda. Thank you very much, Linda, for coming to the show. How are you well, tonight? Well, Thank, thank you, Rob. I appreciate I appreciate the opportunity to talk to you. Can you hear me clearly? Yes, I hear you good. Thank you. Okay. There's a couple of things I wanted to comment. I mean, there's a lot of things, both foreign and domestic, that I would like to comment on. But a couple of things that I wanted to really touch on, um, and, you know, one of the things is that while I appreciate the tax cut for businesses from 35 to 21%, and that is a permanent tax cut. And I know initially a lot of companies have said, we're going to give you a 1000 or a $2,000 bonus. That, those tax cuts for the businesses are permanent. The tax cuts for the individuals are not. And I know a lot of people have said, oh, really? I didn't realize that. No, th- there's a limit on that. And I don't know whether it's 8 years, 10 years, 12 years, but there's a limit to when that is going to end. So while the while the 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 you know the big corporations are going to enjoy those great benefits, you know after you know one year, five years, ten years, they may not continue to reward their employees because you know, and then the employees are not going to get those bonuses after a certain period of time. So you know that, that I have an issue with that. The other thing that was said last night on the um, 
on the, the State of the Union, and I listened to it again tonight, was there's a lot of talk about, you know, the opioid epidemic drugs that are coming into this country. And one of the most amazing things that someone said last night was, you know what, this country has an appetite for drugs. And it's, you know, if, if, what, if they weren't coming in from a foreign country, they'd be produced by the godfather-type people in this country from, you know, however many years ago. So the, the, the issue that has to be addressed is the appetite that Americans have for illegal drugs. You know, if, if there's no appetite, if there's no need for the drugs, whether it's foreign or domestic, they're not going to be able to provide those drugs. So, you know, that, that's part of the problem, and that goes back to whether it's in the schools or in the homes or whatever, you know, and it's not just about, oh, let's just say no. You know, that campaign was a big flop in the Reagan era, you know, just say no. It didn't work. But it, it's just, it's more, it's not just a mantra. It's a philosophy of if, if there's no need for those drugs, you know, they're not going to be able to, to push those. So, you know, that, that's, that's a big issue for me. And when, it, when I look back to Donald Trump and I look at him versus, you know, his war on drugs, his, you know, uh, um, immigration issues, you know, and I understand the need when he says, hey, the United States has contributed so much to other countries, whether it's a war, a hurricane, a tornado, a typhoon. And we've always been like the bailout for the rest of the world. And I understand that there has to be a time for us to say, you know what, we can't keep doing that, people. But there's a difference between saying, it's like going to your boss. You don't go to your boss and say, hey, jackass, I want to make more money right now or I'm walking versus, hey, let me talk to you about what I think is my contribution and why you should pay me more. There's, it's not what he says, it's how he says it. So I think there's a lot of, you know, just a lot of, you know, rhetoric about delivering the message. You agree? Well, let's get uh, see that in the in the chat, and and I know we'll bring it over you, Bob. But uh, she puts uh, employees are also received wage increases that, w- and I've attended the wage wage increases, but it also says employees also received wage increases. So I guess you know raises, not just bonuses, uh, that will continue to right. go up because of continued tax cuts for the company. Right. But, Were you addressing you know, me? It's, oh. But at yeah, some no, point, at some point. Yeah, at some point, though, the companies are going to continue to get the, the benefits and the employees are going to – they're not going to reap those, oh, okay, you know, you're getting X percent of whatever. Because, like I said, those are temporary, you know, uh, benefits to the American worker. The, the benefits to the corporations are permanent. And you want to – sound like you want to make comment on that, Bob? Yes. I don't know if you're aware of it, 
or the listeners are aware of it. When it comes to money, the United States government makes more money in a day than it can count. And that's why and that's why they're able to give money away when we say as citizens, once you send it down here, our community is blah, drugs are rampant. President Trump knows that's true. Sorry about that, Linda. I actually, actually cut you off. I was getting ready to get 909 in the green room. Sorry about that. Go ahead. Bob. No, that's okay. That's okay. Should I finish? Yes, please do. The president knows because I don't know if he participates in it now, but he's a billionaire because he does the same thing or did the same thing as the government does and what other banks around the world do every single day, they generate money. As a matter of fact, when it comes to taxation, there is absolutely no reason why anyone, any business has to pay taxes. I believe it's primarily for control. The government controls us. And I also believe that the reason why the government is allowing businesses to receive more money, more profit, is because he wants everyone to go into business. That's my firm belief. You can work for somebody and amount to nothing all your life. But to have people step up, be counted, start a business, hire employees, that's the American dream. You buy your house, buy the car, your dreams, go on vacations. There is so much money available And I wish the president and our government would say, okay, world, we're all making money, but our people don't know about it. You look at that list that that Forbes publishes each year, and it increases with the number of participants. It's the billionaire list. That billionaire list the top three or four on that list, including Gates, knows how they got that money. And there will be one day, one day soon, not too far distant, where every single American can participate in that money generation system. And I hope one day soon we can all find out about it. I I know about it. I know that one is existing now. So I believe President Trump wants the citizens to start businesses. Not everyone will, but the opportunities are there. 
That's all I have to say now. Uh, thank you, Bob. And, uh, again, we'll have uh, your mic on. And, and Joseph, we're going to get you in and then Suzette. Uh, but well, let's go ahead and see if uh, – did you have a response or any other comments on that you want to uh, bring up you know what? before we bring Joseph back in? Well, the other thing is, you know, I, I understand what, what uh, your caller is saying, but, you know, there are a lot of people who, for example, like me, you know, I'm not a person who would say my dream in life is to start my own company, you know, be my own boss and make my own hours and, you know, work from home and start a, you know, a, a, an Internet business. There are a lot of people out there who want to be worker bees. They want to told when they need to go in and what they need to do and when they're going to get their paycheck and how much time they get off and, you know, when, when their check is coming and, and, and that's me. You know, I'm not a person who would say my, I mean, if, if you would say to me, start your own business, work from home, blah, blah, that would be a punishment to me. So I'm not one of those people who wants to do that. And I think that the balance in life is to say, we need to have people who want to be entrepreneurs, be the Gates and the Jeff Bezos and the other people who want to start a company and take the bull by the horns, or those people who say, I want to work from home and have packages delivered and go online and sell stuff and resell stuff. That is not me. I'm a person who wants to have somebody say, come to this location from 8.30 to 5, take your lunch at 12.30, and, you know, so there, there needs to be a balance of the workers and the entrepreneurs and, you know, the, the, the people who can build the shelf and the guys who can program your computer so, you know, th- that, that's, that's what makes the world go round. That's the balance of, you know, the guy, I mean, the guy who works in Silicon Valley and makes $250,000 a year, but his toilet is plugged up and he can't fix it. He needs to call the guy that makes, you know, $40 an hour, come out and unplug his toilet. So, you know, you have to have a balance of plus and minuses and, who can do what and, you know, the the worker bees and the executives and the tech guys and the guys who can come out and, you know, nail two boards together for your house. And that's what that's what is lacking, I think, right now. There's so much emphasis between, you know, if you talk to people who have kids who are in high school, and they're like, oh, my God, how am I going to put my kid in college? It's going to cost me $40,000 a year. You, you, every kid doesn't need to go to college. Some kids need to work as a plumber and make, you know, $80,000 a year. And some people need to work as a IT guy and make $80,000 a year. It's just, it's not, there's not one fit for everyone and, I need to make know, $80,000 a year. Okay. 
<laughs> but yeah, every, everybody, everybody's trying, everybody's trying to push somebody into a pigeonhole of, oh yeah, IT is the way to go. You know, technology is the way to go. No, it's not. Like I said, look at the guy who's living in a million dollar house. His toilet gets clogged up. Who's he going to call? He's not going to call an IT guy. He's going to call Joe the plumber who's, you know, making 40 bucks an hour is going to come out and take care of things for him. So it's, it's all about appreciating the diversity of the workforce and realizing that not every kid needs to go to college. Not every person needs to work from home. Not every person needs to be on a laptop, eight out, you know, 12 hours a day. And, you know, that, that's, that's what makes things happen. You know, I, I, you know when I, when I, go ahead, go ahead. Let's get said, go ahead. We'll get, uh, and then we got Cindy on the line. Uh, Cindy will get you in after Suzette. So we're going to get folks in line here, Uh, but let's go ahead and there it is. Okay, let's go ahead and, as I promised, uh, bring Joseph back in. He called in the beginning of the show. Uh, so let's get him back in, and then we'll get then uh, Suzette and then Cindy and other folks, when you're ready to chime in, we'll uh, push the one, your number down, we'll get you into the show. Uh, thank you uh, sure. for uh, holding for the beginning. Uh, Joseph, go ahead. He was hailing from Hawaii, by the way. So, uh, man, it must, be, uh, it must be feeling nicer there than it is here. <laughs> <laughs> Sure is. Uh, first of all, I, I actually want to uh, commend uh, Linda because uh, it's been a long time since I've heard uh, a Democrat uh, come on the show and actually open the door to a healthy debate instead of demonizing uh, the opposition. And so for that, it shows a lot of class and decorum. It reminds me of the yep. old days when I used to be a blue dog Democrat when in the 90s when the Democrats were the party of prosperity. It was a different age. Uh, we were not uh, radically to the left. Uh, it was a different time, and the results, the proof was in the pudding. You know, uh, Bill Clinton governed as a centrist, and it worked. Nobody complained. I mean, I don't agree with uh, a lot of the things he did uh, on a social platform and, and the scandals that happened. But, you know, at the end of the day, the reality is most people overlooked it because most people couldn't complain. Wages were at an all-time high. Uh, yeah. Inflation was on an all-time low. Food was on the table. People were not living paycheck to paycheck. A college degree was actually worth something. So, you know, at the end of the day, if, if you look at previous presidents, heck, JFK had five mistresses. So, you know, it's not condoning it, but the proof was in the pudding and the results got done. And that was the proud Democratic Party that I was a part of. And then in 2008, when Barack Obama, oh, sorry about that. Uh, in 2008, when Barack Obama uh, got elected, he took the party to a different direction. And that's when I could no longer support the party. And hey, the proof is in the pudding. If you analyze Eight years of Bill Clinton, you could love him or you can hate him, but you can't knock his record. A record is irrefutable. The stats, the over 21 million jobs that were produced, that the economy was in the highest, uh, you know, uh, level. You're totally right. Totally right. 
exactly. And and it was a different, we had a different mentality. It was a different time. Uh, us Democrats didn't play the race card. We were not trying, we were not uh, divisive. We were not trying to divide the nation. And one thing I respect about Bill Clinton is he never played the, the blame Bush card. You know, he took a shellacking in his first two years. He, he moved to the center and he won in a landslide against Bob Dole. Now that party in 2008 has faded away into something that I, I can't even recognize. And I'm 100% with Robert. You see, the problem is it took me so many years to realize, being a former Democrat and Republican, that it's not the left, it's not the right, it's both parties are the problem. You know, everyone is, yeah. uh, the left wants to point to the right, and the right wants to point to the left, and everyone wonders why nothing is getting done in Capitol Hill. Because that no, is the you're problem. No, you're right, you're right. You're right, you know, you're absolutely correct. correct. Yeah, but Linda, I, I sincerely commend you for coming on the show and actually speaking on substance and coming with decorum and civility. And you remind me of myself when I was a proud blue dog Democrat during the old days when when we had a debate, <laughs> we had a debate on substance. And when we had a debate, uh, well, thank well, you. Real quick, not the real quick. I got to do a program. I got to do a programming note uh, for sure. those who are on the show. Do not let your uh, call drop, because if you do, unfortunately, you will not be able to call back into the show. We do have another hour, but we're going to go into the extended period and what we lovingly call Bard's Logic After Dark. Now, uh, so if you drop your line, unfortunately, we'd not be able to call back in. And if you're out there listening and are not called in, give us a call at 347-945-7428 in the next minute, or unfortunately, you will not be able to call into the show. Now, the, the show will be – the extended period will be also uh, on the recording of the podcast, which will be available for uh, your listeners uh, listening and uh, sharing to other folks as well. Uh, but, you know, the portion uh, – you won't be able to speak into it unless you get called in at 347-945-7428, and uh, we'll get you into the show. Now, real, real quick, I'm going to bring you back in, uh, uh, Joseph, and then – we're going to make a reply, Linda, and then we are going to bring in uh, Suzette and Cindy, as I promised. But first, uh, you mentioned sure. Bill Clinton, so I want to play this uh, this real quick clip, about 40 seconds of uh, Bill Clinton, at his own State of the Union address. All Americans, not only in the states most heavily affected, but in every place in this country, are rightly disturbed by the large numbers of illegal aliens entering our country. The jobs they hold might otherwise be held by citizens or legal immigrants. The public service they use impose burdens on our taxpayers. That's why our administration has moved aggressively to secure our borders more, by hiring a record number of new border guards, by deporting twice as many criminal aliens as ever before, by cracking down on illegal hiring, by barring welfare benefits to illegal aliens. In the budget I will present to you, we will try to do more to speed the deportation of illegal aliens who are arrested for crimes, to better identify illegal aliens in the workplace as recommended by the commission headed by former Congresswoman Barbara Jordan. We are a nation of immigrants, but we are also a nation of laws. It is wrong and ultimately self-defeating for a nation of immigrants to permit the kind of abuse of our immigration laws we have seen in recent years, and we must do more to stop it.
sounds familiar. That sounds familiar like Trump. <laughs> but the Democrats are dropping <laughs> their hands. What year? What uh, year was that? What year Go was ahead. that? <laughs> uh, no, I think it was 1994, 1995, one of those two years. Well, you know what? And here, here's the thing. And this is one I, I had said earlier. You know, I understand that there are a lot of people in this country who say, I don't want a bunch of immigrants coming in that I don't understand, that I can't relate to. And, you know, and the, the law, the illegal immigrants, I understand. However, if you look at just based on the recent events of this country, tornadoes, hurricanes, floods, um, and if you look at Florida, Texas, California, the bulk of those basic jobs, those those migrant, you know, I'm I'm doing physical manual labor are done by immigrants. And you know what? Americans won't do it. Blacks won't do it. Whites won't do it. Teenagers won't do it. And so when you look at who's who's on the roof of a house in Texas at six o'clock on a Friday night, it's a Mexican. It's not a black guy. It's not a white guy. You know, who's who's picking the crops in Florida? We need a, a group of people who are willing to do those tasks. And a lot of Americans, like it or not, are not willing to do that. So if you've got immigrants who are willing to do that, and, and let's, not, let's not confuse I've got a traffic ticket or I've got unpaid child support versus I'm a murderer or I'm a drug dealer. Who can be in this country? Who, who is going to you know, improve and help us get crops to the grocery store, get a roof on my house, get, you know, whatever. You know, what's the difference between a, you know, a bad, to use the word, I'll use the word Trump used, a bad hombre versus somebody who's didn't pay a traffic ticket, didn't pay, you know, a speeding ticket, and now it's doubled, or, you know, he didn't, you know, pay a, a, a parking ticket. So you have to look at, you know, who's willing to do the work for what and, you know, where, where's, where's our boundary? What are we willing to do and what can we willing to not, not look aside, but what can, we will, what can we do willingly to say, how can we help you get past this? I mean, and that's the difference. It really is. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that people in this country, born in this country, will not do for double the money that an immigrant will do. You know, you look at, you know, if you you look at a Hispanic person who is working on a roofing job in Texas, he's not going to the strip club on Friday night and buying two 12-packs of beer. He's living in an apartment with eight other guys and sending all his money home to Mexico for his family. So, you know, I mean, is that a stereotype? No, it's probably the norm. It's not every guy, but don't, don't be like Donald Trump and say, let me pick the one guy out of 10 who's the member of MS-13, you know, who's, you know, chopped up somebody's daughter last weekend. I mean, 
you, you have to look at statistics. You know, is this one person out of ten or one person out of a hundred is doing this? So we have we have Cindy from Florida. She might be able to speak on you know, the, the the folks in Florida, and uh, we are going to okay. get Cindy in. And then, Joe, do, do, uh, do, uh, do you have something? Joseph, do you have something you want to add on, or we can bring in Suzette? Uh, yes, yes. Um, you know, that was a, a wonderful speech made by Bill Clinton. I used to campaign for the Democrats prior to 2008. And, uh, you know, um, I hear what you're saying, Linda, but with all due respect, as an espoused former blue dog Democrat liberal who chose that path, uh, that was not our mentality whatsoever. As a matter of fact, today in New York, in Hawaii, you have about 100 Americans in line just for a minimum wage job. So maybe from the state that you're calling from, it's different. But mm-hmm. I could say from firsthand experience in states like New York and Hawaii where people would think that's unthinkable – you have literally hundreds of Americans, some with even college degrees, that are willing to be waiter and waitresses or really? do the hard labor work for a minimum wage job because we have the worst wow. economy in over 40 years. That is wow. the reality. That's, that's pretty – that's, and you're right. That's different than it is here. Yes, it is. Exactly. So I can understand. I have a comment. But, but okay. yes. And 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 um, well, uh, I'll, I'll let you get to that. I just want to quickly wrap up. Basically, you know, because I don't want to, I want to give all the other callers, you know, time. I just want to basically wrap up mm-hmm. in saying, you know, results at the end of the day matter. And at the end of the day, you know, um, it worked. Blue Dog Democrats, the the party of Bill Clinton, the proof was in the pudding, and the results worked. And then. When Barack Obama took over in 2008, it's not an opinion, it's a fact. He took the party to the left, and what were the results for eight years? We deteriorated any further. And instead of him Mm. pulling his big pants up, everything was blame Bush. (laughs) Give credit to Bill Clinton on leadership. He did admit not once, uh, you know, uh, blame his shortcomings on anyone. He took a big shellacking in his first two years. And he had great advisors. He was a pragmatist, not an ideologue. And he said, you know what? There's two ways about this. I could whine and I can lose in re-election or I can move to the center. I could be a pragmatist. I could listen to the will of the people and I can put this country in direction. And the proof was in the pudding. And, and I have to leave it there because, you know, the facts are the facts, you know, at the end of the day. And Bob Bing from New York, quick comment, then I got gonna get Susan, uh Suzette in, and then we've got uh and then we have Cindy, and now we we also have uh, John on the line, like to get in, and same with Kelly. Uh so let we'll uh, um, take some some brief comments and then try to get them all in. Uh let's go go ahead, Bob, okay. and then I got I want to bring in Suzette. Okay. Um I wish I could have talked to Trump because I would have gave him a good suggestion for immigrants. When I was in the Marine Corps, I went to Vietnam in 1966. I joined the Marine Corps in 90, uh, I mean in 64. I was totally surprised when we were in Da Nang, Vietnam, to find out 
that 10% of our platoon, which was about uh, 85 people, eight or nine of them were illegal aliens, illegal aliens. And come to find out, when they served the United States Marine Corps, in whatever manner, capacity, when they get out of the Marine Corps, they're on a fast track to citizenship for offering their service. And that would be one good way to continue that practice, having them join the Marine Corps. Not the Army, Navy, Air Force. I mean the Marine Corps, the ones that you're in first outlast kind of thing. But I think that would be a way to test whether or not they would be good citizens. Mm-hmm. If they refuse yeah, to go, true. if they refuse to go, send them back where they came from. Mm-hmm. And we would That's get right. a good right. thought of And I've got yeah, thought go what to, to do with some dreamers and I've, and I've mentioned it on uh, some other shows, uh, but um, but yeah, I, I I agree with that. I think that I thought that was part of the dreamers. Uh, but let's go ahead and gosh, this is I know this is one of those shows I could use for a fourth hour. <laughs> but anyway, let's go ahead and we can uh, continue this call, uh, talk maybe the next show. But let's go ahead and bring in Suzette. Thank you very much, Suzette, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? And we've got you on deck, uh, Cindy, and then John and Kelly. Go ahead, uh, Suzette. Hello, You're in California, right? My call. Yes. You're welcome. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Good evening. Uh, Interesting conversation. Um, I wanted to address a few things I had written down. Um, First of all, the tax reform. And while, yes, it is permanent for the companies and not for employees or regular people, um, if the company is willing to pass down right now, which they didn't have to, the benefits that they're reaping from the tax cuts, who's not to say that those benefits will stop at the time that um, the employees will return back to a normal or, you know, another tax rate where they were before. And also, who's to say that that tax rate will continue along that path? It could be lowered or extended. Also, um, the immigrants, as far as that goes, and yes, um, there, there are some or I don't know how many statistically-wise that will do jobs that um, other Americans won't do, so so it's sad. But at one point, Americans did do those jobs. And I think to assume that they will do those jobs, the, the immigrants, the illegal, illegal immigrants or whatever you want to call them, these poor people, <clears throat> they're looking for a better life. And then you just want to keep them in the field doing the jobs that, you know, they're – that Americans don't want to do when they themselves would become Americans if offered, you know, the citizenship. So in a sense, they may have dreams to be, to be and do something else different other than just pick strawberries in the fields. And since the wall is being built, chain migration will be ending. The visa lottery ending. We'll have more control over who comes in. So once those people decide to get educated, then um, 
if they educate themselves or go to college or something while they're here, become citizens, then then who's going to pick the strawberries? You can't just assume that they're just going to stay, you know, picking strawberries or cleaning somebody's toilet. And it sounds like that's where, you know, people want to assume that that's what they're going to do for a living. I think that's wrong. And as far as education goes, Trump's been working with companies to, and there was a committee hearing on it, to um, work on getting trade schools started so that they can do those plumbing jobs. Excuse me. Apprenticeships with companies and, um, and scholarships. There are a lot of scholarships being offered by various companies right now, and that was before the tax. And trade schools did, uh, and, and Trump did mention those in, in the speech as well about you know learning a trade. Go ahead. And that's all. <laughs> I know that was kind of a lot, but I try to squeeze it all in. Oh no, that's that, that's great. Yeah, and, and Trump did talk about uh, about that with trade. You know, we'll keep your mic open, of course, uh, see that. And, and and Trump did he talked he spoke. You know, he mentioned that in. Uh, in the speech, now a couple of things uh, that I'm going to I'm opining about. They did have a couple opportunities uh, that you know I saw, and I was a little disappointed in the speech uh, myself. I, I I mean, of course, I always have high expectations, I guess, for everything, but um, I thought it'd be more grandiose <laughs> uh, than what it was. I mean, when he mentioned uh, the uh, you know we could do anything, and you know you know America, we could do anything, we're going to put our mind to it, and. When you mentioned science and technology, I was hoping to hear a, a JFKF, uh, let's get back to the moon and get to Mars kind of thing, but unfortunately we didn't. And then when he m- mentioned, you know, protecting our nation against, uh, you know, nuclear the, the nuclear weapons from uh, North Korea, I thought, come on, SDI, bring up SDI. Let's say let's bring back SDI. And I know it's controversial, but I was hoping he'd bring up SDI, and he didn't, so I was kind of disappointed about that. What, but anyway, what is that? What, uh, is that, Rob? what is that, Rob? I don't know what that is. A, a strategic Defense Initiative, what uh, some people may uh, be more familiar with, with, the, uh, with that concept, Star Wars. Uh, basically, oh, okay. it was uh, okay. yeah, it's supposed to be orbital, uh, you know, an orbital space defense uh, in order to, uh, okay. to shoot down uh, missiles while they're in, in, in in okay. orbit, you know, we're going to the argument. Okay. But uh, let's go ahead, and I'm not going to opine too long because I want to be able to get uh, all the folks on the on the line here. So let's go ahead and let me scroll down here. There we go. Uh, bring in Cindy, and I know you, uh, you're next, John, and then Kelly. Um, hopefully, we'll be able to bring everything back around. We we still got time. And uh, John, you know, we'll get you in as well. Uh, go ahead, Cindy. Thank you very much for coming in. Uh, how are you tonight? And you're from Florida, so if you want to speak on what Linda was saying. About uh, the workers uh, in Florida too. Uh, go ahead, but thanks for coming to the show. How are you? Take a moment for her to get her unmuted. Just don't hang up. Just don't get. Don't hang yourself up, uh, Cindy. Okay, sounds like Cindy may be having some technical difficulties there. So let's go ahead and. Uh, let's see. Bring in John and then Kelly, uh, and then uh, when you can hear yourself, uh, Cindy, just go ahead and just yell in. <laughs> Let us know where you're able to, to get there. And then uh, I do see three four seven. You'd like to chime in as well, Eric is three four seven. Uh, I'll get you in as well. We'll I'll get you in the green in the green room in a little bit. So let's go ahead and welcome John. We're waiting for Cindy to get in. 
and then Kelly, and then 347, and then hopefully we'll be able to bring some things back around. But thank you very much, John, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, thank you very much, Robert. I always appreciate your expeditious work you're doing there, hard work chasing, uh, trying to round up all these cats. But uh, I'm trying to I'm, I'm, I'm trying to get it, be able to get uh, people in because I know people have, have a lot to say. And as I said, uh, and my friend uh, uh, the American Statesman, you know, made a good point in uh, the chat uh, where it's like, you know, why did you play the whole the whole the whole thing was an hour and a half long, and people really want to you know talk and they and they don't get a lot of opportunity on talk shows to get as much talking in. And I I, I understand that, I appreciate it. But I know there's a lot of folks who, in the past, where I've, I've done these speeches, were like, "Well, I didn't get a chance to listen to the whole thing, so I really can't talk on this or this because I haven't had the opportunity to listen to it." So I thought, "Well, I'll give people the opportunity to listen to the whole thing and then uh, make commentary on it." And of course, we can do subsequent shows to talk about. It, but you know, as the, as the news uh, cycle goes, you know, by next week, and God, I wish I could do more shows just one a week. But next week, uh, I'm sure there'll be a lot more <laughs> other things to talk about as well. But go ahead, John. Yeah, I mean, this is definitely, there's so many points throughout his speech that it would not do justice to just do one show on it. I mean, it, I can see at least four shows easy. And But um, uh, I think it was Joseph that was um, kind of thanking Linda for coming on. I wanted to thank her, too. I appreciate other people's perspective. It helps me challenge my own thinking and then forces me to find the truth of the facts and evidence to back up what I'm saying. And part of what I wanted to get across, because there's so many different points, I'm going to focus on something that just came up within the conversation. And when we're looking at immigration, we have a debt of $21 trillion or thereabouts that we have to get down. Otherwise, at some point, if China starts recalling their debt or some of these other countries that are, you know, buying our treasury bills and stuff, if they want to cash yeah. them down and call them in, hello? I'm, I'm sorry? If, oh, is that Cindy? If, I have no idea, but I didn't know if I needed to stop <laughs> or keep going. Go ahead, John. We'll, if that's Cindy, be able to get, to get in, we'll... Uh, We'll get her in after your comments. Go ahead. Yeah, okay. Yeah, um, well, anyway, you know, if some of these foreign ent- company countries that are buying up our treasury notes and stuff like that will start calling those things in and the dollar starts tanking, then people are going to look at this whole situation a whole lot differently. Now, in respect to that, when you think about all of these foreigners that are coming in here, we have legal Americans who are on the public dole pushing that debt up even higher because if they're collecting unemployment or some kind of social welfare, you know, food stamps and any kind of federal aid SNAP or whatever they call those things today, that's an expense that pushes up the debt. Those Americans are legal Americans. They have standing in our government and in our courts. Foreign Americaners don't. I mean, these foreigners don't. So if we the rig we the legal Americans are willing to put the foreigners on the floor of our government and give them standing to have their rights written into law, you know, but we're gonna deprive our own fellow Americans who are in poverty and on some form of social welfare from having first right of refusal, remember, they cannot force these companies to interview them. 
They cannot force these companies to hire them. And many companies, I'm not saying all of them, but many companies like these foreigners coming in here because they are not used to being able to claim their rights as a citizen like a regular normal American citizen is. So a normal American citizen would possibly challenge their boss, wait, you're not supposed to do business like that. You know, you're not supposed to treat your employees that way where they can get away with it with these foreigners and whatnot. Because a foreigner isn't willing to subject themselves to that kind of thing in the fear of possibly being ex, you know. Um, and so, therefore, the legal United States Americans going to suffer because their standard of living and their quality of life is being pushed into this poverty. Well, look at the labor participation rate. It's what, 62, 63%? That means 37% of Americans are not in the labor force. You have a 326 million population, 37% is approximately 120 million people. Well, some of these people are on, you know, retirement or Social Security or something like that, so they're not in the labor force. But then you also have people that are no longer receiving benefits to the workforce commissions and employment agencies or whatnot, and they're not in the workforce either. And that's why whenever you hear these statistics of saying, hey, you know, we got 94, 95 million people on unemployment and on social welfare and whatnot, that, you know, are on the public dole, those people and the people that are no longer counted by the workforce commission, that you know, that are, I guess, considered non-existent, those people mm-hmm. deserve a quality of life worth living. Because here's what's happened in, in a lot of these um, neighborhoods. The people that are on these, either they're out of work and not making any money, they go around casing the you know neighborhoods. And if they do day labor or whatnot, then you got to watch because they'll be trying to figure out how to make ends meet one way or the other. And at some point, if the stipend that they're getting from the unemployment or, you know, food stamps or whatnot is not enough for them to have a comfortable lifestyle that's worth living, they're coming in your backyard and in your house stealing from you. The more immigrants, more illegals that you allow to come into America, I guarantee you you're going to have more of that. Because when people get desperate and can't take care of themselves to feed their own self, and they're living in the streets like out in California or into a bridge or in a cardboard box or find some kind of vacant house to live in because they're just trying to get in all the weather, and then they're really hungry and destitute and desperate for the next meal, they start stealing from their friends and neighbors. And it's not a funny thing. It's not something you want to take lightly. So my my position is, is while I have a voice, I'm going to speak out for my less fortunate fellow Americans who are legal Americans who are on the public dole now because we need to help them get a quality of life to take care of themselves and get off the public dole so that helps bring down our debt. And then they have a standard of life worth living and something to look forward to that they're not pushed into a situation where they're starting to steal and thieve from me and all of my other neighbors in order for them to make it in this world. And there's my point right there. And too many of our politicians seem, in my humble opinion, to not care about that as if they're colluding with the corporations who want to have exclusive governing control, that if they can overwhelm America with so many people in the country that the resources are overtaxed and overbearing, then they have to call on, oh, we got to get the UN and all these other people involved to help pull us out of this deal, and it's a scandal, and this is part of what I'm going to say with Trump's 
never really speaks about us governing ourselves, and he never talked about giving power back to the people or taking, allowing the power to be given back to the forgotten man. So I'm wondering if he's starting to collude with the doggone corporate entities that want exclusive control and leave <laughs> us out. Because, you know, we are supposed to be self-governing free people. If you're not deciding the burdens and encumbrances on your life of self-governing, you know, laws, process, procedures, and rules that make up our self-governing, then you're no longer self-governing, nor are you free. You're a legislative slave being represented like a pimp represents a prostitute. You're coerced, and they're acting like bullies, forcing these rules, laws, processes, and procedures on you without your consent and without your approval. So, therefore, they don't respect you as an equal citizen, nor do they respect the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence that says we're all supposed to be equal in governing, not equal in benefits or equal in, you know, opportunity and everything like that, equal in determining self-governing. Back to you, Robert. Mm -hmm. I don't want to take up too much time, and there's a whole lot more shows down the road this can get into. Well, thank you very much, and uh, I Kelly, I'm going to let you in. Sound like Bob may have wanted to uh, to chime in on that, and so uh, Kelly will let you in. Unfortunately, we lost uh, Cindy's call; and she wouldn't be able to. I got uh, some messages out to her. Hopefully, we'll be able to uh, at least get what she was uh, wanting to, to go over. And I was really wanting to hear, you know, her from Florida there. Uh, and then so, and then three four seven, uh, another from New York. I tried to get uh, them in the green room, but I didn't hear anything. So maybe they're having some mic uh, troubles themselves. Uh, and, and, you know, perhaps I'll be able to, to try again. Uh, but, Bob, did you want to make any uh, response to that before I bring in Kelly? Or? Why not? Why not? I, I agree with the fella. He he hit it right on the nail head. You, you got about 120 million people, actually 102 million, believe it or not, did not vote. Now, I don't know if that means anything to you, but I, I believe it shows the measurement of belief in our values here in our country. I mean, it used to be when you go to church in 1776 and the preacher would take off his, now leave his black robe on, grab his rifle and go out and start shooting people. Today, we just don't have that attitude. And too many people just give up too early in life. And they go on a dole. And it creates a lot of havoc in the different classes. The rich, uh, I don't know what you call the middle class now. It looks like it's gone. And you have the poor. And I'd hate to see this country turn into a, we're already a socialist country, but I'd hate to see it go communist. But if the numbers, what the gentleman said, means anything to anyone, when you have 102 million people not voting, it could go communist. There's many people in this country that could be leaders, but on the wrong side. And uh, I, I just hate yeah, to see it go. There's certainly a way. lot of there's certainly a lot of apathy out there, and there's a lot of people who 
you know, the people don't vote, they feel like uh, it doesn't matter. And it is. And let me tell you something. It's, it's hard to get people to do stuff, too, let me tell you. Um, but, yeah, I think there's just a lot of apathy, a lot of powerless, the feeling of powerlessness uh, out there. Yeah, you know, yeah. well, we can't really do what, you know, they're, the, the government's too powerful. And I've heard a lot of people say, you know, I'm just going to, whatever they do, I'm just going to live around it. You know, I'm just going to do my best, whatever system I end up in, and there, there you go. You know, I'm just going to live it that way. But Robert, yeah, I know what you're saying. The posterity, your kids, our grandkids, they're going to suffer the worst consequences if we don't nip this in the bud now. Well, you're I'm right. not disagreeing with you, but you know, but and I think it's and I think it's been done, and I think it's been done purposely. Uh, you know, I think apathy has been instilled in us uh, purposely. Uh, let's go ahead and uh, get in Kelly, and then I see it's uh, about a half hour left that in the show because the last five minutes I will need you know to close things out and we still have you know you know about well including myself we got about seven people on the line and so that's good so that gives six people who uh you know to give closing thoughts for it I do like to give a couple uh minutes for each person to give their closing thoughts for the evening and so I'm trying to do this quick time mind so we, we've got about 15 minutes or before we we, we do that so, or maybe not even that, but let's go ahead and bring in Kelly. Uh, thank you very much, Kelly, for coming to the show. How are you tonight? Hey, I'm doing great. And I realized something recently, Robert. What's that? Uh, you don't have to be a geek to be my friend because I can teach you. To be a um, geek? <laughs> I'm halfway I, I can there. Teach you. I'm halfway yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, you have a, what, some, is it PhD or? Masters in philosophy, I guess. But anyway, all right. So I guess on this guest panel, so I want to say hello to Linda and welcome. And I wanted to discuss the last callers. This is a short part. Then I'm going to go into a rant about lettuce. But um, yeah, these pastors that in 1776 that would go from the pulpit, grab his gun, and shoot people. All just a little reminder there. We were at war and. The way the well-regulated militia, like it says in the Second, uh, the Second Amendment, a well-regulated militia being necessary for the security of a free state, um, he had to. Because if you don't show up for militia duty, you were fined. So everybody in the community was involved. That was their police system. That was their security, the ward and the watch, and then kind of helped get the British off of our continent. So anyway, that was kind of a necessity if you lived back then. Either participate or you got fined, and sometimes you could actually be shot. But anyway, that's just that's history. Um, but yeah, Linda, I, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad we have um, another perspective, if you will. <laughs> um, I'm I'm actually a libertarian, and so I'm trying to free people's mind, if you will, through libertarian thinking. Been to the National Convention of Libertarians, a couple state conventions. And we're finding in the Libertarian Party, we call uh, people they'll, they'll confess and say, "Yeah, I'm a recovering Republican, or I'm a recovering Democrat." <laughs> and I, I'm, it's yeah, it's it's fun. And uh, nice thing about Libertarian Party, while well, it's mostly party till sometimes three in the morning, at these conventions, lots of fun. Anyway, we'd have a lot of things to agree about and discuss. Um, but anyway, I, I did want to talk about some of these people that won't do. The jobs that most Americans won't do. Um, I, I first have to tell you about Robert 
Roberto Ochoa. He's, I, I'm, by the way, I'm a civil engineer and uh, run my own practice. And I have many wealthy multimillionaire clients, and uh, Mr. Ochoa is one of them. He is Hispanic, been living the American dream, and he is a very humble human being, and I like the guy. And he's, uh, of course, American, uh, Hispanic. He speaks Spanish fluently. He hires mostly Spanish. And he has really uh, brought a lot of quality to his workers. I happened up for a client meeting with him, and it was paycheck day, and a bunch of people were lined up, and most of them were Hispanic, and he has really improved their lives. He's found a way to do government contracts for reforesting after forest fires. And wow. so he's – I'm just uh, – I'm amazed. Great. Yeah, yeah great. I mean he's just a great guy. I mean I've got a lot of clients, and I – a lot of American clients, I'm sorry, they're rude, obnoxious. They know everything about everything because they made a million and you didn't. I call it millionaire's disease. The main symptoms are pride, <laughs> ego, and and worship me. And I'm just, but Mr. Cho is a great guy. Uh, but he does have this guy who does his landscaping and fixing this and that and building things for him. His name is Todd. Todd's an American doing the jobs that most Americans won't do. And since Todd is close to the ground quite a bit, I should ask him why he doesn't pick lettuce. Um, it's just Mr. Ochoa pays more. Um, and we don't have any lettuce here up in Siskiyou County. And then, you know, there's Bob Stevens. He's a rugged old tough guy. He does excavation work and, you know, tearing up the ground. Since he's that close, I guess I should ask him why he doesn't pick lettuce. Or maybe he can hire some Mexicans, illegals, to do the job that most Americans won't do. Bob O'Gorman, <laughs> contractor. He builds, he builds, he builds. Tom O'Gorman is his brother. I just saw him last night. So yeah, he's working there, hands in the dirt, building things. Most Americans won't do. Um, let's see who else we got. Uh, Bill Schmidt, gonna meet with him. He called me today. He's a contractor. He moved four houses, actually five, five houses, and he hired a bunch of people to do work. Americans, most Americans won't do. Pat Downs, contractor. Roger Gifford, he even sold carpet recently. On his hands and knees, he's like fifty something. And uh, doing the work that I should ask him since he's that close to the ground why he won't pick lettuce, probably because putting in carpet pays more. Clancy Johnson, next, he's an electrical contractor. He was digging trenches, putting in electrical lines. Then he upgraded to the horizontal boring machine. Oh, let's see. Another guy's son, he's probably early 30s. He's running a, uh, he installs fireplace and wood stoves. And, uh, the uh, pipes all through the ceiling, but since he's that close, I should ask him why he doesn't pick lettuce. Um, got a mining partner, James. We do gold mining. Where we find gold, we're digging, we're digging. Maybe we should hire an illegal that you know can dig some dirt for us. Um, I'm, I, I can go on here with contractors galore. Limey, he's a machinist. He's close to the ground. Why doesn't he just pick lettuce? Well, is that it? Dwayne Keg, He's a city council member here in Wairika. And he's doing all sorts of construction stuff and in the ground, on the ground. I should ask him why he doesn't pick lettuce. And then you got Brian Foster. He's was he's a contractor and on his hands and knees installing uh, bathrooms. He's got a special bathroom thing that it's heated floors. It's wonderful. And since he's that close, I should ask him why he doesn't pick lettuce. Oh, and I, I've installed um, a heated uh, heated tile floor. Those are nice. But anyway, go ahead. <laughs> Yeah, I I have some Hispanic friends. Not in my house. That's when and, he helps us. <laughs> it does that kind of work. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I have some Hispanic friends, um, and I actually uh, uh, Ray and uh, his daughter, 
I was kind of interested in his daughter big time, but she was too young. And I took him surveying, and hey, well, you know, she keeps hitting on me, but I, she's too young. No, no, no. And they're like, too late. She already had a boyfriend. Just, just, is, she the, is, she, is she over 18, Kelly? What are you flabbering about, dude? <laughs> Go ahead. Oh, she, was 30, 30, she was like, oh, she's 35. There's 15 years different. She's but, 35. You know, I'm I, not too if, young. Well, but this was years ago before she met Mr. Wright and married him. And uh, she was, I, I have so much respect for her. It's amazing. Anyway, but I, I think if I talk to those two, I say, hey, what do you think about? Some of us white folk classifying U.S. lettuce pickers, illegal lettuce pickers, I think they'd be offended. I really do. And uh, so – but we go back to Robert Ochoa, who has uplifted so many uh, Hispanics, and uh, I, I think he's, he's, he's a great American. I really do. And uh, so I, I don't – I just – I'm having trouble with this – being in the construction industry, I'm having trouble with this ideology that uh, – the illegals will do the jobs that nobody else will do. And the other bonus feature, which I haven't included in this little lettuce discussion, um, well, you hang around a construction industry, you learn all sorts of flowery speech, and I have a plethora of explicitive superlatives from these folks. And uh, But they're tough, rugged men. They get the job done, and they do it because they like it. Roger is a master craftsman about anything he does. Refrigeration to he'll build a house, no problem, no brainer. He built his own house. Um, you should see him weld. He fabricated some mining machinery for me, and since he's that close, I should ask him why he doesn't pick lettuce. But I, I just I don't I don't I just really don't get this excuse why we should let illegals in because I I don't know where this comes from. I, I really don't. I just I can't. Can you help me out here, Linda? Because I just I don't get this. They will do jobs that nobody else will do. I I don't I don't. I don't understand where this is coming from. Ah, oh, we're on the same page, Kelly. I was just mentioning Linda, that. Did you want to – then real – oh, go ahead, Suzette, and then, and then Linda, and then, and then it will be almost time to uh, do uh, unfortunately closing comments tonight. Yeah. Uh, no, no. And well, you so, know, may, maybe, maybe in California and in Florida and Texas, when you're close to border states um, – you know, you've got ample work, workforce, but up here, I'm telling you, you know, there there is a mentality that, you know, the the white guy, the black guy, the teenager is not going to do consistently, day after day, week after week, the work that a, 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 a Hispanic guy will do. I mean, it, it's, I, don't, I don't think it's a stereotype. I think it's a real thing. It really is. Well, what happens is market forces. Roger got paid a ton of money for putting in a carpet because it was a government contract thing. And so those market forces are like, dang, you're making more money with some of these projects than I am as an engineer. I mean, I charge 99 bucks an hour. And I'm like, dang, I should have been a contractor, been on my knees and solid garbage. You know, I survey, do all sorts of things, but I'm like, and not these, these, lettuce. Uh, yeah, well, if there's a government contract to pick lettuce for a heck of a lot of money, I'm sure you'd have all sorts of Americans coming in on that one. Uh, yeah, <laughs> you know? exactly. 
I'll pick lettuce for $40 if you look, an hour. If you're looking at the, if you're looking at the, I mean, sure, sure. If you want to pay somebody 40 bucks an hour to pick lettuce, oh, I'd, I'd, pick, I'd pick lettuce for 40 bucks an hour, no problem. But you know what? If you want to hire people to pick lettuce in 95-degree heat for, you know, $12 an hour, you're not going to get teenagers, white guys, and black guys to do it. You're not. You're, you're just not going to do it. I'm telling you. I, I, I don't believe it because, I mean, I, here in Indiana, I talk to farmers who have said that, you know, because, you know, here in, 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 in certain counties in, in like Ohio and Indiana and Kentucky, they've started to really crack down on illegal immigrants. And I've talked to farmers here in Indiana and Ohio who have said you know, oh, my God, I hired a bunch of white guys and teenagers. They didn't last a day, and they said, shit, I'm not going to do this for $12, $14 an hour out here in the blazing sun, 14 hours a day. Hell no, I'm not going to do that. And they, they didn't last a day doing that. They didn't. They would not do it. So, you know, I'm, I'm telling you, I mean, I'm – you know, it's probably different in different parts of the country, but here I have talked to farmers who said, nope, we can't find people who want to do that. You know, like I said, if you want to pay me 30 if you want to pay me $25 an hour to stand out and pick cotton, pick corn, I'll do it for 25 bucks an hour. I'm not going to do it for 12 Mexicans will do it for $12 an hour. I'm not. I think they would when, I was, when, I, when I was a teenager, real, real quick, folks, and, and, I, and I hate and I hate to do this. I wish we had another hour because we I'm sure we could fill it. And I do, I want to invite everyone here on the line uh, back to next week's show where we can uh, continue this conversation. Also talk about sure. other topics that are sure to crop up at the uh, uh, by then. Uh, but I, it is uh, the, you know part of the night where uh, I do like to do uh, the closing comments for the evening, and so I would like to give a each person at least, you know, about two minutes, probably a little less uh, for each person. I'm just going to make it easy for me and just kind of go down the line of, of who the folks are uh, and in order. And first we'll go with uh, you, Joseph, and then Bob, and then you, Linda, and then Kelly and John, and then we'll have uh, Suzette uh, end uh, things out for the closing comments. And then, unfortunately, I will have sure. to uh, close things out for the evening. I appreciate everyone coming that in. That sounds great, Rob. Definitely – you, you folks uh, are, uh, are the people who make the show. So we'll do it in that order. Uh, each person's got about, you know, maybe a minute, 45 uh, seconds, minute and a half. Go ahead, Bob. I'm not Bob. I'm sorry. I did uh, Joseph, then Bob. Go ahead, Joseph. Yeah. Yes, I'll, I'll leave you with my uh, my, my closing oh, no, This is an order where we're going to do we're, we're gonna do closing comments in order, uh, starting with it's going to go uh, Joseph, Bob, uh, and then Linda, and then Kelly, and then John, and then Suzette, and then I'll have to close things out. So we'll do it in that that order. So it's going to go, yes, Joseph, Bob, and then you, Linda, and then Kelly, and then there's Kelly in there. And Yeah, so let's go ahead, and uh, I'll shut up so people can get their closing comments in for the night. Uh, so go ahead, uh, go ahead, Joseph. Yeah, I'll I'll leave you with some closing comments. Uh, definitely, uh, you know, uh, great perspective from different people. Uh, I just want to remind uh, people um, of uh, this 
so many stereotypes and so many labels and so many misguidance. And I, I heard certain callers, you know, um, fearing we're going to turn into a communist country or fearing, fearing that we're a socialist country. Uh, I don't think we're ever going to become one. If, if American history has ever dictated in over 200 and uh, close to 40 years of, of being a sovereign nation, it's never happened and it won't happen because of the Constitution. Uh, and um, if you look at the Europeans who have been devastated by socialism, it's kind of funny that uh, today's millennials want to be like the Europeans and the Europeans want to get the heck out of there and the euro's collapsing and they're realizing socialism doesn't work. But I'll just leave you with one point. At the state level, if you compare blue states to red states, blue states which the majority are governed by Democrats and the majority are governed by uh, Republicans and red states, states such as Indiana, states such as Texas, states such as North Carolina, South Carolina, they have the best state economies, uh, deflation, uh, the lowest cost of living, uh, and at the end of the day, the Latinos, who are very well educated, are a major voting block who are against illegal immigration. Uh, I firsthand, who have lived in Texas, uh, can testify to that. And the states in which last summer there were people standing in 95-degree lines for job fairs of all different colors and all different races. But you know what the difference was, Robert? They were in states like New York states um, where Democrats have just run these places into the ground. But at the federal level, I'll leave you with this. Both parties can't function. But at the state level, the stats back it. Republicans know how to govern on the state level, and, and the facts are there. If you go to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, red states outperform blue states. Red states economies are thriving. The key voting blocks are educated Latinos with degrees who are uh, a major part of the vote, who will be the first ones to tell you they are against illegal immigration because they're smart enough to know illegal immigration poses a threat to uh, their success. And uh, I'll leave you with that and to be continued uh, on the next show. Hopefully maybe this is a debate we can um, pick up because it's a debate that's seldomly talked about. Um, we mostly focus on the federal level, but uh, Republicans do uh, do get the results done at the state level, and the stats are there to back it up. You could go to the Congressional Budget Office, which is a nonpartisan committee, and the Bureau of Labor Statistics, and look no further but there. And I'll leave you with that, guys. It was a pleasure, everyone on the show. Have a wonderful evening. Thank you. Thanks, Joseph. Go, go ahead, Bob. Hey, this is Bob. I'm going to try to say what I say in two minutes. I enjoyed what you just said. I love it. Republicans are doing much better. <laughs> okay. I'm going to take you back to the year 1812. Actually, before that, let's say before the revolution, you have tribes in a nation. They had lots of land. No borders. Every tribe knew their area. And treaties were being made, and land was taken away from the tribes. I don't call them Indians because Indians are from India, and I don't know of a single Indian that is in a single tribe or any tribe in the United States. I mean an actual Indian. 
from India. Then we come up to, so uh, tribes lost their land. Come up to 1812, you had a great tribal leader, Texama, or Texuma, whatever his name is. He fought bravely. Okay, Tecumseh. He was a great Tecumseh, yes. Warrior, yes. He was a great warrior. But he ended up getting killed. Now, what had happened was the tribes that served the British caused the modern-day tribes to lose millions of acres of land, which BIA controls, the Bureau of Indian Affairs. Now, I am Cherokee and Yaqui, and I'm proud of it. Served my country as a Marine. Many tribal members have served their country. But the removal of land from the tribes, well, the tribes believe it's a terrible thing that took place. But what happened? Europeans came into our country and brought their beliefs with them, which was in total opposition to tribal life in America. And I believe because of that, because of the greed which Europeans showed, there's no doubt about it, it's pure greed. The problem is going to continue. Everybody's trying to grab this from him and another one from her, and it's just a big game by a few people. By a few people. It's a terrible shame what has happened in America. And what I mentioned earlier about the Democrats sitting down, I mean clapping, but sitting down was disgraceful. Very disgraceful. Yeah, and bring that up and you you know, you can uh, give me a, a, an email uh, and you can, uh, can be contacted through the, uh, the Bards Logic website on the uh, on the contact page at www.bardslogicpoliticaltalk.com. Send me some information on on that with uh, the Europeans bringing over and great to think that that issue will we'll have a show on that. Let's go ahead and uh, right. bring it over to you, uh, to you, Linda. Okay. Well, one of the things I kind of want to say to end it is, you know, and, and Rob and I talked about this earlier, is that I understand the need you know, after when this country is in, you know, our infrastructure is falling apart, you know, we've got issues here at home, and a lot of people in this country are saying, why in the heck are we spending millions of dollars to help everybody else recover from floods and hurricanes and mudslides and, you know, whatever, you know, is going on in the world? Why, why are we always... The, the country that says, let's step in, no holds barred, spend billions of dollars, and all of a sudden people are like, whoa, wait a minute, we've got all this stuff going on in our country. And I understand the need for finally the American people to say, wait a minute, we're not going we, we, to just write a blank check anymore. But there's a difference between 
saying, okay, other countries of the world, excuse me, can we kind of check back and say, let's look at the last 40 years and look at how we've built, how we've helped Germany and England and other countries rebuild after wars, after floods, after everything that's gone on. You know, natural disasters, man-made disasters. You know, we've helped out. And so now we're kind of saying, hey, let me tap you on the shoulder and say, we need a little bit of help here in this country. That's, That's realistic. But for a president to say, oh, America first, screw you, we're not going to, we don't give a shit about anybody else in the world. We just want to talk about us. It's like, it's like I told Rob, it's like the difference between going to your boss and saying, screw you, asshole. I need a raise right now. And here's what I want. Take it or leave it versus, Hey, can I tell you about what I've done for you? And here's how I'm hoping that you will reimburse me. So it's not, it's not, what he what he's saying it's how he's saying it it's let's talk about you know after 50 years of us helping you you need to help us please not f you you know we're we're not we're not going to bail you out no matter what happens and that's where i that's where my big issue is is that i understand I hate to say the America first thing. I, I, how about how about if he says, "America, help us," instead of "America first, screw screw you." That's basically what the rest of the world is seeing: is that America is saying, "We're we're in it for us. We don't care about anybody else," and that's where I have an issue. So, I want to say, yeah. It's time for other countries to step up and say, can you guys help us out? We've helped you out for 50 years, but let's yep. do it diplomatically. That, that's my issue. And, and, and I, that's definitely something I want to speak more on, you know, <laughs> unfortunately, our time. I'm sure there'll be more time within this year to talk about it because the campaign's coming up, and sure. they'll be talking about that too. Uh, Kelly oh. and then John and then uh, – Suzette, and we unfortunately we we're really run out of time quick. Unfortunately, sure. I, pro- I won't even get my my ending song in tonight, but that's okay. Uh, really appreciate it. Go ahead, uh, go ahead, Kelly. You know, Linda, I should try that in my business. I should go to contractors in these difficult business negotiations and say, "Can you help me?" And they'll say, "Okay, fifty bucks an hour." I say, "No, I ninety nine an hour. That's my normal rate. I'll see you later." Anyway, that's just kind of. A, and just late, no, Linda. I didn't vote for Trump. I voted for Gary Johnson, and he's quite funny if you watch some of his clips. But uh, <laughs> anyway, what what you don't know, Linda, is I was raised on an Iowa farm. My first job was, uh, well, I was baling hay and and uh, all sorts of grunt work, walking beans and pulling out the weeds, and worked for Pioneer Seed Corn, decastling with a bunch of Iowa kids, and I think it was getting paid two eighty five an hour. This is back in like the late seventies. And oh, hot yeah. sweat. I was making two thirty. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah. I was back in the seventies, late seventies. But a uh, whole bunch of farm kids, and even. Uh, but of course, our culture has somewhat changed, and uh, I would support bringing uh, Hispanics in legally, 
and uh, see how we can lift them up like Robert Ochoa did. Because obviously you're going to have leaders. You're going to have business-minded. They get it. They're sharp. Hispanics arise into a position and o- Ochoa has, and then he hires a bunch of Hispanics and, and great, you know, improves their quality of life. Let them come in mm-hmm. legally. Let them taste the American dream. Let them – and I'll be straight up with you. A lot of Hispanics, they work harder than Americans. And I know a, a Hmong, a, uh, Southeast Asia, he's quite the entrepreneur, and he likes Trump. But, uh, you know, he's worked so hard. And um, so that's my my theme there is, hey, let's bring him in legally. Let's help him. Let's, mm-hmm. let's give him a taste. Uh, and they are a great family unit. I volunteered at a homeless shelter. Guess what? And, and Doing studies and other things. The, the Hispanics and, and Kelly, care more yeah, about their I, own. I, I want to be able to give them at least a little bit of time for close out. I really apologize because we might get okay, cut off just, like just, any minute here. Apologize. Right, John well, and then last, 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 sentence, sorry. last sentence. Last sentence is this. They are a good family unit. I really respect them. Let's give them a chance. Yeah. John? Yeah, I think we definitely want to be considerate of all of our family in our house first, and then once we get taken care of no shelters here in America because all of our own family's taken care of and they're off of the public dole, then we'll be able to take care of the rest of the world. But if we neglect our own family, then why should they not come and steal from you because you've neglected to give them their right and self-governing? Now I transfer the rest of my time to uh, Suzette. See you all next week. Suzette? Great show. Go go ahead and and I want to apologize ahead of time if we get cut off I apologize but I go ahead.